Hi, I'm Vincent Andrasani, and this is episode 10 of The Place of Sound. Thanks very much for tuning in to this episode, and thanks also to those who've been following along through the first few episodes of the show. For those who are listening for the first time, The Place of Sound is a show that explores the theme of space, or the social geography, using sound and listening. We do so through a variety of audio media production formats, so you can expect to do a few different types of listening in a single show. Episodes consist of what we refer to as audio portraits, or oral history-style interviews that explore the topic of home. Soundscape compositions, which use everyday sounds to communicate the personal and social significance of a given place. And we typically end the episode with a short documentary-style piece that, over recent months, has explored the topic of social isolation, something we know all too well as a result of our lockdown experiences. These are the types of projects that you can expect to hear on The Place of Sound, and all of them are produced by students here at Carleton University. They're what gets produced in Comms 4501, Digital Media Production, which is a fourth-year workshop course in the Communication and Media Studies program. But in this episode, we're gonna do something a little different. This episode is the first in a two-part series that features an interview with Vancouver-based soundscape composer, ecologist, and educator, Hildegard Westerkamp. It was recorded in the winter of 2021 for my fourth year digital media production course. Throughout the interview, Hildegard and I discuss her unique approach to soundscape composition, including her motivations and technique, while also asking why someone might want to compose with environmental sound to begin with. Hildegard also takes the time to recount her experiences as a researcher at Simon Fraser University, and she also mentions her show on Vancouver's co-op radio during the 1980s called Soundwalking. And all of this serves as background for a discussion about her widely known and still widely taught soundscape composition, Kitts Beach Soundwalk. I should mention that, aside from being a world-renowned soundscape composer, Hildegard has been an important presence for me personally, influencing not only my work, but also, and more importantly, how I understand the practice or the art of listening. So I hope you enjoy the conversation, which I'm thrilled to be able to present here on The Place of Sound. Officially, this time, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time Hildegard for uh, visiting us 
and coming to speak with uh, my students, uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule and sharing with us your your expertise in the field. Um, it's truly a pleasure and an honor to have you here. I say this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, um, Vincent. I, I've, I'm. It's a huge pleasure to do this with you. I've known you for a while, and it's just really lovely to be able to have this exchange. Thank you. Thank you. So um, for a little bit of context, um, the students are working on their uh, soundscape compositions at the present moment. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been learning. Um, first, we began this module, so this section of the course, we began by looking at and picking up um, a bit of language around soundscape studies, as well as um, from human geography. We're talking about ideas of space and place, but also ideas about soundscape and uh, keynote sounds and sound signals. And so students spent um, a week kind of getting familiar with those sorts of terms. Um, in the second week of this module, we took the time to learn a little bit about field recording, which is uh, sounds very easy, but as we know, um, takes a lot of thought and sort of deliberation and, and, and a, a whole um, series of decisions are made the second we walk out of our front door. Um, and so we learned a little bit about field recording, and we also learned how to multi-track audio, uh, audio productions. And so in this third week of this module, this section of the course, we're going to take a deep dive into, uh, we're going to do a deep dive into what soundscape composition does in the real world, let's say. How does a soundscape composition sound? Um, who does them? Why do we do them? And um, how can we learn from folks who are doing them? And so in this week, we did... Uh, a reading by Hildegard Westerkamp. We did a, and we, and our, and our listening is uh, Kitts Beach Soundwalk. So th this is our, 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 um, our course material for this week. Now, what I'm hoping to do with you today is to talk just a little bit about um, some of the things that went into Kitts Beach Sound, not only Kitts Beach Soundwalk, but also um, just, you know, your general thinking around uh, soundscape composition. So why would we do soundscape composition and how do we approach doing soundscape composition? And so uh, I think maybe we can do this in parts and this is kind of how I'm thinking about it. We can do this in parts uh, where we can talk a little bit about, so um, Kitts Beach Soundwalk has two really important elements, uh, one of which is your field recording and the other of which is your vocal, your, your sort of spoken narrative. And uh, I wonder if we might be able to do these, to, to kind of explore both of them in, in, um, in segments. So, uh, so, so maybe to begin, what we can do is, I'd be really interested to learn a little bit more about, um, about your, before we talk about Kids Beach Soundwalk, maybe just some general thoughts about field recording. And so... How do you decide on a place to record? Like what, what, what attracts you to a place? And um, is, it, is it experimentation or how do you go about doing that? 
Yeah, and those are all really great questions, um, especially that Kids Beach Soundwalk really came out of my experience with field recording. If I hadn't done what I'd done before, I wouldn't have done this piece. So um, uh, I guess the big advantage I had before I started field recording myself was working with the World Soundscape Project here at Simon Fraser University and listening to the recordings of my colleagues. Um, they, they made all the recordings uh, here in Vancouver, and I was the one who listened back to them and made notes. And, 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 and not only that, we all listened to them together. And in that listening together to, these, um, to some of these recordings, we also discussed their quality, um, why they were important, um, what could have been done differently, etc. Where else would we do a recording? So there were all these discussions about, you know, what parts of Vancouver do we want to record, for example, right? And and why and all that. So so that was really bef all before I started my own recording. And then um, because of all, all this training with the World Soundscape Project and with Soundwalks, I had the idea that I wanted to transfer the idea of Soundwalk into the radio medium. And we had Vancouver Cooperative Radio as a very new thing happening in the mid-70s. And um, this was all ha happening in, in the mid-70s. And Co-op Radio was only just starting. And in, in the late 70s, I had this idea um, to do a program called Soundwalking. And... Um, I hadn't really done much recording myself yet. I mean, here and there I had done some, but, you know, nobody had taught me really. Um, so I decided I was going to buy a portable cassette recorder because I did not want, and they were new at the time, they hadn't existed before. I did not want to carry the very heavy Nagra that the World Soundscape Project had, which was reel-to-reel, and gave you only 15 minutes at the most of time to record. And uh, cassettes, you could at least get 30 minutes um, on one side of uninterrupted recording. And um, so I wanted to be lighter. And because it was co-op radio, I thought it could also be a bit more low-tech. It was a mono station. and But I got very good microphones and I got headphones. Yeah, and, you know, literally I had no plan. I'd, all I knew was I wanted to... I wanted to present on the radio the idea of um, of the soundscape, the idea of listening to the soundscape and becoming conscious about the soundscape. So there was an educational impetus there. Um, I was totally enthusiastic about this whole idea of soundscape and listening and noise and all. I was absolutely riveted by the whole philosophy. And so this was my way of wanting to share this with the world and wanting to educate people. I was 20, how old was I? 20, uh, 27, 28, a little bit older, yeah. Um, and um, no, by that time I was already in the beginning 30s. That's right, when I did the Soundscape Project, the, the Soundwalking Program. So um, I... The, the thing that I was clear about in my application to the Canada Council for this program was that I wanted to use the, the, the voice as a mediator between the recordings that I made and the radio listener. 
because I knew that when in daily life, when we have environmental sounds uh, in our lives, we don't listen to them. We put it in the background. That's just our ambience, right? And we don't really listen to it unless we, we have to. And if you do that on radio, if you just put environmental sound on the radio, probably the same thing would happen. And I wanted people to listen. So that was my passion. And so that idea of combining the voice and the record and the the recording of the voice and the recording of the environment um, at the same time, uh, that was the, I guess that was sort of my, my conscious approach to field recording at the time. So I included the voice right from the start, right? And all I did really in the beginning was, you know, to say the date, maybe the day of the week, what weather it was, where I was. Um, sometimes I would point out acoustic qualities that I noticed, or I would point out a situation where uh, that was important for the listener to know. I remember recording fog in Vancouver, and I was standing on, on the um, Spanish bank side, and the bank, the fog bank was on the North Shore, so I could I was in the sun, but the North Shore was in the fog, and so, the foghorn was going on the North Shore. And so I was mm. describing that to the listener so that they could visualize what was going on and why the acoustics were that way. Um, I tried not to speak too much. Um, and uh, just, again, making the listening the main part. I was very passionate about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I learned a lot because it was a program that went on for about 10 10 weeks, uh, sorry, 10 months, uh, once a week. And I had an hour slot. So I would go every week, I would go recording, and I would go wherever I wanted to, really. It was not, my planning was very spontaneous. I would just see how I felt that morning and, and also see what the weather was like. Um, wouldn't go if it was really stormy, of course. Um, unless I went indoors. And, uh, you know, if I felt up for going into a mall that day, like say before Christmas when it's a bit crazy in malls, um, uh, I would do that. If I didn't feel like I wanted to encounter a lot of crowds and people, I might want to go to a park or up the mountain. or um, So it was very intuitive. Uh, I had no plan on that level. And... Then I would record often a good two hours, and then I would reduce that to an hour, and often present it in chunks. So there was there were the recordings with my including my announcements on 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 tape, but I would also sometimes make introductions to the particular chunks that I was presenting. That's how it developed. In, initially, I did it differently, but as I was getting more experience, I also had no experience in radio hosting, so I had to learn that. Um, I just learned as I went along mm -hmm. and um, I guess developed this technique. And in hindsight, my technique was um, that I uh, have a moving microphone mostly. I was walking. I was moving through the environment um i was uh the microphone was yeah i would stand and 
when I heard something specific, I would stand and record chunks just being still, depending on what I heard. So monitoring on the headphones, you, your microphone leads you, right? It guides you. And that I found really exciting because it, it, you couldn't really, you, you could make a certain plan, like with any kind of sound walk, you can make a plan, but when you get there, it's a completely different environment, right? You never know what hits you, basically. And so the microphone guides you, your listening guides you. And I learned a lot because you begin to understand the perspective of the microphone. You understand that the microphone has a perspective, and if you move it, you change perspective. This is b because I was using cardioid microphones, um, mm -hmm. not th 360D Omni, right? But cardioid. And there, as soon as I would move the mic like this, the listener could hear that, right? right. And sometimes I would actually say, okay, I'm, I'm just moving my mic over a little bit. Can you hear that, for example, right? So... It was, um, that was basically it. And so I developed this, this approach, which was most comfortable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never been someone who's gotten very involved in the technology of recording. Like I have some colleagues who know everything about microphones, who have most amazing microphones, who will take great, great care uh, setting up where it is in, in the place. Um, Chris Watson in England, who's done all the field recordings for David, David Attenborough's films, for example, the care that he takes to set up his microphones is huge. He searches out the places beforehand and does his listen beforehand, and then he finds the place that he thinks is ideal for this purpose, right? Very, very different and beautiful quality um, the spatiality of his, his recordings and all that are, are really uh, very special. Um, I always like to have really good microphones, but I also wanted to be portable. And I did not want to hassle thinking too much about the technology. That was never my, my forte at all. Yeah. And so if I had something that I could work with, that made me flexible. And um, yeah, so my recordings were were pretty good quality most of the time. I would get noises from from handling the microphone, from wind, from walking. So I had to do a lot of cleaning afterwards. Um, you, you can't move totally quietly. Eventually, I got one of those what is, are they called that suspend the microphone so that when you move, you don't get clunks. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You can you can get those kinds of things. So eventually, I didn't have that during my sound walking show, but I got that. Right. right. So all that experience, um, and then later, once I had to then the program, my my recordings were. I wasn't very consistent in terms of field recording. Um, when I would travel or when I would go anywhere, or there was a situation, I would just go and record it because I wanted to capture it. Um, Again, there was not. Sometimes it was for for um, doing a composition. As I mm -hmm. as I began to compose at that time, 
um, then I then would go out and and make recordings for a composition, or mm, or just for fun. Like when I went to India, I just recorded whenever I could because it was so new to me and I wanted to capture it all. Right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I was curious. It's like you know how people take photos. You just you just want to capture what you're experiencing, and yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's basically, I mean, on some level, I've maybe been always a tourist. I've, I've just been wanting to capture things that fascinated me. And then a piece might come uh -huh. out of it. I, I wonder if you can, I wonder if you could say, I, I, I appreciate all of this because I think I've, I've learned a lot about uh, field recording and soundscape, uh, just working with soundscape and working with environmental sound in from you anyway in the in the very same very similar way so all of this really resonates i wonder if you could say a little bit more about um so i didn't realize that your approach to speaking was a sort of technique for the radio uh, as a way uh, your approach to speaking and coupling voice with soundscape um, was a sort of technique a radio technique to, to draw the listener's ear back in to the to the um to, 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 the, to the environmental sound, to tell, to tell a story. And I think that that's really interesting. And I think that's really important as well, because it's, it's not the environmental sound and it's not just your speaking, but it's the combination of both of them that are, that are telling a story, I think. Right. Cause they're, they have, they have to, they have to work with one another. Like you, you have to stop speaking when you want, when you want the, the audience to listen and you have to begin speaking when you need to describe an idea. And so I wonder if you could say just a little bit about um, how you see that. Like, how do you do that? When do you know when to stop speaking? And what do you know? Like, how do you know what to say? Uh, like, what do you say? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, all that evolved as I was doing it. Um, the only thing I knew for sure was that if I was going to put environmental sound alone on the radio, people would not listen. And that's going against my grain. So I had to say something. And when I listen back, and I am actually going through the old show right now because I'm finally hoping to put it into the archives. Um, Excellent. Excellent. 30, finally. 40 years later or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, anyways. Um, so the, the initial show when I was listening, I thought, oh yeah, I really, I really didn't know that much at that point. Um, so I was quite cautious. I, I was just, I wasn't really sure what to do. And it sounds slightly awkward at the beginning, um, but straightforward in terms of just, I am at the rifle refuge here and the, the bird sanctuary um, in, um, and, uh, you can hear ducks in the background and I probably say the date. And so, so you were speaking into the mic, um, on location. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. But, but you right. also, okay. I'll let you go ahead. Cause you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that was, um, that was without a question. I was going to have to do this while recording. Yeah. So I was a participating listener in this sound walk, right? So, of course, on a regular sound walk, we don't talk, right? right? But in the radio format, I had to talk in order to engage the radio listener. I knew that, right? So 
yes. So I, the first one, I went out to this bird sanctuary, and um, I knew it well, and so I felt comfortable there. And so I had microphone on a handle, two um, like the stereo AKGs, yeah. right? Yeah. And I held them on a handle, and so the cardio direction was in front of me, and I would move it around maybe like this. But when I spoke, all I did was I would put it so that the microphone would be microphones would be under me, and then the the environmental sound would have a natural fade out or down, and my voice would be foreground. Uh, that I did not know at the time that that's what I would be doing. Um, that's just when I heard it on my headphones, I could hear as I was moving and coming closer that my voice was clear enough and close enough and the environmental sound was still there, but there was a fade, a natural fade, right? Hey, don't tell me that you're like... You're speaking on uh, Kids Speak to Shamrock. That has got to be an overdub. That is that not. Is. That is not you speaking. Exactly. That's an overdub. That is an overdub. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That is the composition, right? So okay. Kids Speak Soundwalk is the result of this year-long experience, and this was like ten years later when I did this piece, right? Of of doing soundwalking. Uh, Knowing the routine of what to say on uh, towards the listener, and also knowing at the time that the voice is always different depending on which environment you're in. So when I'm in a quiet environment and I listen back to to my sound walking recordings, I have a fairly quiet voice, but and and maybe a relaxed voice. So I might say something like. Um, I'm, I'm at uh, Rifle Refuge Bird Sanctuary. It's July 5, something like that. Relaxed, mm -hmm. right? Well, I was in a brewery, which was really noisy, and I my voice was just loud and tense. Um, in the snowy uh, mountains up where it was really quiet, my voice was even more quiet. In the mall, my voice was slightly sarcastic, uh, you know, commenting on things. And so so depending on the environment, my voice adjusted. I wasn't conscious of that. I only heard that years later, um, oh. which is a, already a relationship that you're establishing at that point, right? And you want to make sure that you are heard every time, depending, no matter whether you're beside a busy road or not, right? Um, and so... Uh, you, you're learning, through your listening, you're learning how to hold your microphone uh, into the environment and to your voice. With Kids Beach Soundwalk, I knew all that by that time, and I had experience. And uh, that's when I became a narrator. So that was like a, a, you know, a performed voice. And originally, actually originally, Kids Beach Soundwalk was a performance piece. I would do it in a concert situation where I would be sitting at the mixer like a like a radio person, like a radio announcer, and I would do the voice live. Then I became lazy and I recorded it and thought, I don't want to do this all the time. I'm just going to put it on a CD and there it is, right? <laughs> so that's why you're having a more narrator kind of official voice in, in that part.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Place of Sound. This was part one of a two-part interview with soundscape composer Hildegard Westerkamp. In the second part, Hildegard will dive much deeper into the process of developing Kitts Beach Soundwalk, and she'll reflect on that composition today, some 32-odd years after it was released. If you're interested in learning more about Hildegard and her body of work, you can check out her personal website at hildegardwesterkamp.ca. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Place of Sound.